How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we have the incredible Shihan Dana Abbott on the program. Uh, Mr. Uh, Abbott here is a seventh degree black belt in Kenjutsu. Uh, and at the onset of the pandemic, and I, I do want to elaborate here, I needed to reach out to three people in the field of swordsmanship and just because i grew up watching he-man uh the star wars lightsabers uh highlander all this stuff with swords even the movie braveheart and uh i had the fortunate uh to have adrian paul on the show talking about swords the highlander here i am recording uh with uh shihan abbott here and then next week i record with anthony delongas so to have people of your 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 background on the show is amazing and for you to be here yourself is truly amazing data so i appreciate it oh thank you very much thank you Thank you. So I, I kind of want to preface this. What I I knew about you just through whether it's Black Belt Magazine or just seeing pictures and seminars and stuff, but I never really reached out until I started the podcast. And it, literally, the I'm on LinkedIn. You're on LinkedIn. I know we connected. And I noticed one of the coolest things you've done on there is you love to maintain the integrity and honesty when it comes to martial arts and the time people put into their craft. Um, and you have no problem, I'm not going to say calling out people that are into uh, lying or stuff like that, but you hold a, you hold the self to the high regard to, hey, if you're going to put the time in, whether it's a first three black belt all the way up to a ninth three black belt, respect yes. the craft. And for you to be that type of person, uh, it's pretty cool. Yes, yes. Hey, well, that's what happens. I learned the Japanese way and I learned tradition. And with those two right there, if you you begin and you don't finish, you're you're not finished. So many martial artists that I run into, uh, they worked out really hard in their 20s and they perfected their craft in their 30s and they fine tuned it in their 40s. And then all of a sudden they quit. My job is over after 20 years, a little bit more like a, a junior high school coach that when he was in his 20s, he was he was the coach. But by the time he hit 40s or 50s, he had all this extra weight. No one knew he was a coach anymore, but maybe a sushi chef. So that's what happens, and this happens throughout history or in any, in any, any sport or any profession. There are the ones that take it to the end, and there are the ones that do it as far as they want to, and then it's not in their timing anymore. And I, I don't like talking about the pandemic because I think it's, we've, people have talked about it enough, but with something like that comes along, how does that re, how does that help? Does that affect you in a way, your mental and physical, obviously with the training and schools are closing down and class, you can't do your seminars and stuff. But for you mentally, did that kind of push you to even push yourself even further? Or is there a couple of minutes there where you're kind of like, man, this is, this is tough. I don't watch TV. So I'm not indoctrinated since 2011. Therefore all this stuff just passed by. And it was a good year. Matter of fact, it was a great vacation for me. And the reason why is, is that, that I didn't have to go around to all the events as much. And it, it was a little nice being able to stay home a little bit more. And I live in a rural area, so I didn't see too many people. 
Therefore, we had a good year. I saw all the students I needed to. We worked on Zoom a lot, and I've had an online training since 2007, so I sort of have it down a little bit. I, and I don't teach children. Of course, I have children's programs out there for lots of people who teach children, but in the art of the sword, it's made for the worthy, and kids at this time um, just want to play swords, which is great, and that's why we have the padded weaponry. Oh, it's awesome. And so I know you have you had your degree at the college in geography, and that led to yes. your world traveling and kind of just going out there and venturing into the world. But for me, how did you connect to, I can kind of see where you connected with Japan, because that's a culture I've had the fortune to uh, spend much time there doing security work and love the culture, the food, the people, the history. But the idea of the sword, was there a, what was the catalyst as a child that made the sword something specific that you wanted to actually train on that uh, tool? When I was a really young kid, probably 1960, 1960, 61, somewhere around there, first time I saw the Mark of Zorro. Oh, awesome. 1941 classic with Basil Rathbone and Tyrone Power. It was around Christmas because it came out same time with a few of those movies that you still see around Christmas. But when I saw the swashbuckling and the Mark of Zorro, just in the back of my head, I went, oh, yeah. And it just followed me since. <laughs> it is amazing in, in terms of history, whether it's Excalibur uh, or the sword of William Wallace or these, the, the, the lance that pierced the sign of Christ. Like, in history, swords have always had like this really big impact. Is this something that, why that weapon do you think that became such a iconic piece of uh, a tool that people still use today? It represents a gentleman, an officer. It represents royalty, the elitist. It represents freedom in many cases. So you have to look at someone who wields a sword and that's his trade. Look at a surgeon who wields uh, his sword or look at a, a postman who can wield an envelope well. In the same basis, it's, it's just someone who wields a sword, they're honed more than most because it takes a long time to get the perfection needed to wield a sword correctly. Now you can pick up a sword and I can have you being really proficient by the end of the day, but trying to hone it to perfection, it takes a lifetime. One of the interesting things, I'm obviously a proponent of the second amendment and if you own a gun, trade it, use it. And I think a lot of the times the issues that come into firearms is that people don't respect the weapon uh, they don't trade with it, but you never really hear of people that use a sword as a weapon per se, or go off the deep end and attack people. Is it because people respect the sword more, more so as a weapon than a firearm? Like, how do you, how do you kind of break that? Because for me, I can go to any grocery store or Filey's or Sears, pick up a steak knife and do damage, but no one does that. Do people respect blades better than firearms? Well, let's just say that if you're going to brandish a blade, the simple thing is, is that you got to get close and you're offensive. So right there, you're in their breath. You can smell the onion sandwich they had. And right at that time, you're going toe to toe. So if they know what they're doing and you don't, for example, when you have a sword, it's an extra three feet between you and your opponent or a spear, it's an extra six feet. So it depends on if it's a close or longer range weapon. But at the end of the day, if someone's wielding a sword, they must have swung it a few times before they got there compared to the guy that doesn't have it. Now, if the guy had an oar, 
you know, a wooden oar, he could probably, you know, sidestep it and, you know, get in there and, you know, take out his opponent. Or if he had a pipe or some type of equalizer, me, give me a broomstick, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> nevertheless, you can see how that works. So the longer the knife you brandish, the more serious it is to the opponent because they can see the edge more. If you pulled out a box cutter, you can take down America and they won't even see it. But if they would have pulled swords out, nah, it wouldn't have gotten past security. So you can see in any case or any scenario, you start whipping out the sword, it's like pulling out a submachine gun. Everybody runs when that starts rat-tat-tatting compared to a 22 or a little 25 single shot. You know, they pull it out. Oh, how cute. What are you going to do with that? You know, give me upset stomach for the Christmas season. <laughs> so right. you can see the difference. How when you say blade, is it a blade like David Bowie's or Jim Bowie? Or is right. it a blade that a Cub Scout uses? So it depends how you brandish it and how the weaponry is seen by the opponent. Right, right. So now to kind of flesh out like your life, when you get to Japan, what was the first thing you did to start this journey of uh, learning about the sword? Uh, I just enrolled into Nihon Taiko Daigaku. So uh, you get over, you get there and you don't, obviously you, you research enough to kind of figure out where to go or how do you know which, which well, school the, to the attend? The first thing I did as a geographer and an adventurer, I got one of those passes, the rail pass. Yep. And I spent a month traveling through the 7,000 islands, the archipelago of Japan, all the way up to the tippy top where you feel like you're in Washington state, all the way down to the bottom where you feel like you're in Hawaii. So you can see the vast differences. Japan's sort of like California, but just right. a little bit longer, same type of weather and everything like that. So when I finished going through Japan, I decided oh, I'm going to make Yokohama my home base because it's a little bit more like San Francisco. And it was a cultural center there a little bit. Moreover, it was next to Tokyo. If you drove from Yokohama to Tokyo or Kawasaki, you wouldn't know the difference between what city you're in. And Tokyo, Yokohama offered the best sorting schools in the country. And just, I was just really lucky, just put it that way. And I came across uh, the, the head of the kendo teachers over at Nihon Taiko Daigaku when I was visiting the Budokan. And uh, one thing led to another because they didn't see too many Americans since after the war. Right. And my Japanese was nothing. But it was enough to know that I was interested in doing sword. So they just sort of took me underneath their wing and there I went. That's what I, that's actually one of my questions. It's a Westerner. You just don't see a lot of people like yourself or myself that walk into these classes and be like, hey, I'd love to learn or whatever. But it must show a sense of willingness on your part that while you're going to learn the sword, you also have to learn the culture and the, the food and the history and the language and the arts. And that's what I really love about your trajectory because you fully immerse yourself in this culture. It wasn't just, yes. a, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay, how much money can I pay to get a, uh, become a first three black belt sword? Like you actually put the time in. I think there's there's something really to that. Well, you live it, you know, you live it. I married into the culture. I've uh, been doing that for almost four decades now, basically. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I'm starting Medicare next month, so, you know. <laughs> uh, How many swords do you own in your 
uh, in your possession, the first one you've trained with, are you able to keep that? Like what's the- Oh yeah, oh yeah. When okay. I came back from Japan, I brought everything. Um, the first sword I practiced with was wood, you know, of course. And with those, there's, they, you know, you go through those a lot. And bamboo, you go through those a lot. But my first Iaito, I got over in um, Shimbashi, is a part of Tokyo. And I got it at uh, Sakura, a place called there, a little, little, little push for Sakura, if it's still open, because this was in the Showa era about 1984-85. So anyway, I got my first sword, which was uh, 1,100 grams, almost 1,200 gram sword. And uh, wow. it was nice, nice and heavy. You could do lots of technique, really built up my forearms a lot. And then uh, I did that forever. And then I got another Iaito a little bit later that was just a tad lighter, about a thousand gram one. Makes a difference when you're doing technique and, and, and repetition. I mean, if you don't do it 40 or 50 or 70,000 times, you haven't done it, if you know what I mean. And this right. is where the difficult part about swordsmanship is. You don't pick it up and do blade. You don't pick it up and do Conan. You don't pick it up and do this. You pick it up and spend 30 years figuring out how to best the other guy that's been doing it since he was four years old you know you might use bamboo or wood you might use synthetics but when it comes down to the end of the day if you're using metal away from the fear factor there's a lot of great people out there that just can you know bang all day long and if you don't bang properly they look at you like you're crazy if i wasn't urinating blood or, or brown at least twice a month i wasn't working out hard enough if my wow. throat didn't have that rasty, you know, uh, singing nodule sounded like like this, I wasn't screaming loud enough. So yeah, they turn you into a hardcore um, honed machine that follows you the rest of your life. Because most all these guys that I was learning this with, they were all going to be first responders for the next generation. They were going to be like high school, junior high school kendo teachers, for example, for the next generation. Um, the worst students, maybe they'd be shoe salesmen, but everybody has their place over in Japan. So it's right. one of those places where you go that, uh, let's see, you know how hard it is to get into that school? I'm being a foreigner, I, I sort of just walked on in. Da, 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 da. Right. I'll just call it lucky. But if you were Japanese, just imagine here in America, you have 320 million people. Japan only has 125, 130 million people. And how many high school does that high schools does that represent? Hundred thousand? high schools. Yeah, so there's that's... probably about 50,000 high schools in Japan. And every high school has a football program in America, don't they? Or most everybody. Well, same right. thing in Japan, but it's kendo or judo. Yeah, you see how that works. So what happens is that all these high schools, then they have their teams. And there's always a really good captain of a team, aren't there? So now you got, so let's just say, get away from stuff. You got 20,000 really good captains of their baseball teams here in America wanting to go to baseball U. Maybe they have a chance to be that pitcher. Well, there's only 125 openings a year in this school. 
So you can see the, the, the amount of pressure to become one of these people that will take the sword to the next generation. And all these people are, all these students have been learning this since they were four or five, three years old because their dad's 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 dad has been doing it. And they're from all over the Japanese culture. So you might be working against someone that's, you know, up in Hokkaido or the other one's family is down in Kyushu and everything in between. Now they learn homage system through kendo and the seiste system so they can be on on for the school systems but they all come from all those different places where their great grandfather the great zymon did something with double swords or the a great da 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 did something with this or another samurai masters great great grandson is now doing the same technique and that's really cool. So you hear all these duels that they have. Well, they still have them now. They're just using bamboo or wood or synthetics. So you don't limp the school the next day. And uh, right. really good education because all the stuff you see in all these old history books, they're still enacted today. It's just no death to the end or no one fights someone with an oar because they got a four and a half foot sword. You know, it's all homogenized now. Yes. I love you, you talked about the idea that, yes, you could sign up, take the classes, go through the progression, but years down the road, you might not be wielding a sword or uh, be an instructor for kendo, but what you learned in these classes, honor, integrity, respect, that's what you carry on. I think for me, especially to all the martial arts in general, you might not be the you might not get the 4-3 uh, BJJ or Aikido, wherever it is, but what you learn from those classes, the instructors and from your classmates, I think for me, that's what's really important. And to see you so passionate about that. And for you, is, is your legacy, what is your legacy to maintain passing through generations and to other people or other Westerners that might want to do this, but see you and be like, man, if he did this, maybe I want to dedicate 40 years of my life to this. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing that no one will see a legacy. I'll just come and go like the other people did in Japan. There were some great masters 50 years ago. There were great masters 150 years ago. A 550 years ago, there were great masters. We don't read about them because they just went through life. So it's learning how to live like a samurai or live the life of what will we say, the Spartan approach. You know, where it's nothing, nothing but, you know, physical and mental discipline. And that's what it comes down to discipline because motivation, there's no such thing as motivation. When the song's over, I go back and sit down, but with oh. discipline, I continue to go forward just because that what's what you do. And with the Japanese culture behind it, which has taught me that the glass is always empty, and that's the way it is. So then, therefore, you learn to always make sure that your, your zanshen or your, your back is always covered, your six is always covered, because you never know what's going to be thrown at you. You know, over in Japan, the movies would be one-tenth as long because we killed the guy right off at the beginning and Johnny catted him. And that's the difference between, you know, all these movies here and over there. When someone pulls out a sword, someone ain't coming home to dinner. Right. Yeah. Very, yeah, very uh, interesting. Now for the people that will be listening to this, yes, I know people are aware of Kendo, uh, but how is that different from Kenjutsu? Is um, there, what's, yes. how would you say both? I'll make it easy. Kenjutsu is the technique of sword. It is the original. 
So look at it this way. Everybody tries to look up Kenjutsu and they find one paragraph in, in the in the Google or whatever they do and they go, I can't find anything else about Kenjutsu because Kenjutsu is a, is a term which means Ken is sword, Jutsu is the study of or the technique of, for example. So when you're working with that, that paragraph, I'm going back to the text here, with the paragraph, yep. what's going to happen is, is that they go, okay, it's the technique with the sword taken out of the sheath. So it must mean, I'm going to change the subject here a little bit, automobile. Let's use that. Imagine the word is automobile. You go over to your uh, Webster's and you look in their automobile. It's something that goes on four wheels. Well, where am I going to learn more about a car? Got to go to Ford. Got to go to Chevy. Got to go over to Dodge. And that's where all these different styles come in. So if you want to know more about Toyamadu, or if you want to know about the Seite series, or the Shinkendo, or any of the old ancient ones or whatever, you got to go over there and read about all that stuff. But at the end of the day, when you have yourself a rifle, no matter what country you're from and what they call it, everybody looks through the back sights to see the front sights that go onto the target. So Kenjitsu is one of those basic terms that just means doing the sword or doing technique while it's outside of the sheath. And that is the kihon of all swordsmanship, especially in the Japanese thought process. So then if you do just basic Kenjitsu, you're doing things like hapogiri, the basic eight cuts. You're doing mind no mind. Um, you're, you're doing a system that, that is really, really old and is not taught too many places because no one has put in the polish to get there yet. And that takes millions of strokes, strikes, casts, whatever you want to call it. And that's the difference between um, a, a big boys and the ones that aren't. Um, for example, there's the old adage, uh, between a third degree black belt and a fourth degree black belt, it's the, it separates the men from the boys. Right, a little right. bit like that. In Japanese thought process, if you get a black belt in kendo, for example, which is the sport of Kenjutsu, basically, um, any first degree black belt can usually become a third degree black belt in anything else because the energy and the honing that you need isn't in a lot of the other martial arts. And that's why you see all kendo people that are, are, have that strapping young, thin body that they maintain their weight throughout life because they're, they do it that way. Whereas someone else learning a different art, for example, they don't have to put out that energy or they weren't trained the traditional way to put out that energy. Or they got lazy and started watching, you know, the TV and voila, chips took them over. You know, so everybody has their excuse, even in Japan. But the kendo experts or the sword experts I all saw or worked with or just been able to glance at their walk, they were all, you know, thin and ready to go. I mean, case in point, name some of those um, excellent old school, the ones everybody, you know, emulates. I want to be like, oh, sensei, uh, which was the one that did the Aikido, the old guy with the beard? Uh, uh, Omori, Omori. Soli, Soli Shiba just passed away. 
Uh, yeah, I, he went to Nittai Dai, the same school that I went to. So he oh, was wow. my uh, yeah. he was my senpai by about 25 years. But you can see that uh, it was a good foundation for martial arts. Yes. But um, ooh, ooh, I forget the person's name, but if you look at old pictures of him, they're right. all... He's all you his, you know, his top is off and his chest is just like some 40 year old guy that doesn't drink beer. Right. You know, he looked and he's in his 70s and all these people that represent Japan, they, you know, the old guys, they're not around anymore. They, they, they look all like him or like myself, because that's why I try to eliminate him, eliminate oh, that too a long time ago, but emulate, you know, so you, you got to look at it that way. But hey, people hit 40 or 50 and then they start, you know, um, um, or they teach only kids. Teaching kids takes a lot out of you. You can't go work out and try to get off those, ca those ca calories because there's a Taco Bell next door, another convenience store next door where you eat junk all day, teach kids that, uh, you know, <laughs> that's well, hard. But for you, it's... You're so obviously passionate about what you do. I think a lot of times these kids in this generation, at least by my, my age and younger, when growing up, your parents would drop you off and they would treat the the dojo, whoever the instructor is, as a teacher or like a, a basically a babysitter. And you had kids there that didn't give a crap about what you're learning or the history. Uh, and so I guess as a teacher of yourself, obviously it's easier for you to someone that wants to be there, right? As opposed to someone that maybe they don't want to be there, but you know what? After a couple of classes, they start to respect the craft. You know, I'm going to be truthful about people doing the sword. They come and go. I came and went. I went to Japan. I didn't spend all my years, spent only 15 years there. Now I've been married into the culture and I sort of half live in Yokohama for the past 35 years for example, but you gotta look at that. What was the question again? I started going off on a tangent. No, it's just basically for you as a teacher, it must uh, be easier for you to, to deal with kids or even whoever it is that want to be there and learn yeah, as opposed yes. to someone that dropped off and treats you like a babysitter. Um, no one's worthy anymore. I, I gotta be frank with that. Um, everybody knows I'm around. Everybody knows I'm around. Uh, most every well-known martial arts you know, and I've dealt with them in doing some technique back and forth. So, but the average kid out there, uh, here's case in point of the average kid out there. Kid lives across the street or down the corner and they had a birthday party for the mom and I was over there, you know, and uh, the kid was saying, I hear that you do martial arts. And I go, yeah. Well, hey, can you show me something? I go, yeah, I do sword. Cool, I always wanted to do the sword. And this kid's about 24 or 25. You know, he isn't like a 14 year old. And he comes on over about a week later, put a short sword in his hand and just have him stand there and move back and forth. Real basic stuff. You know, real the real basics like, this is a sword, this is how you hold the sword, now you hold it and we're gonna adjust your posture. After about maybe eight or 10 minutes, he sort of slushed to the ground, sniveling that this is just too difficult for him. And the indoctrination that they get in the Department of Education here that was created in 1979 by our fearless leader Carter at the time has indoctrinated all these kids to be little sniveling little things that can't do anything. I came from an era where everybody had wood shop, metal shop, electric shop. Yep. Everybody yep. went into a trade. I hate to say my age, but now this last generation or from 1979, well, we can see 
They believe the man. You can see that they don't want to produce because why? So very, very few. I mean, the, in the Marines, you can hold out a card now that stops the drill sergeant. In, in the Olympics now, you can, get, you can get knocked out but wake up with a gold medal. You know, there, there's things here that, that I see Taekwondo on the Olympics. That's not the Korean karate I learned. And right. I learned Korean karate back in the 70s over in a town called Prescott, Arizona. Yep, I'm from a small town. Prescott, Arizona. And that's where you saw those Billy Jack movies. Because I lived about maybe a thousand feet away, maybe, maybe a 500 yards away from uh, from the courtyard where they had those fights and stuff. So, you know, I've been following the martial arts and then with a big brother like to beat on me a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so now I look at students and kids as, yeah, most of them just want to be babysat with something. And the problem is the teachers, they can't do anything. I go in and I, before the COVID thing started, I go around to lots of the schools. And what the teachers really loved was the fact that I make their unworthy kids do push-ups. Because if they made them do push-ups, the kids would quit in a minute. And they'd lose their revenue. And with all the people's rents and all this and yep. having a strip mall school and all those problems, you know, that's why if I had a strip mall school and I was teaching children last year, would have sucked. But since I don't, you know, that's how it goes. So there's different ways you teach and different things you deal with. But the biggest problem going back to teaching kids or teaching adults is at this time in everybody's life, they have an excuse not to do anything. I can't leave the house. My mask is dirty. I got a bone in my arm and I can't move my fingers. I mean, you know, there's a lot of excuses not to do it. And the news and, and social media saying, no, sit back, enjoy, yep. enjoy. Why do something? And that's what I see. So I'll, I'll tell you what, there are going to be very few Marines this next generation graduating from high school and wanting to be men, you know, just, just because you can see it. Yeah, no, you totally can. Um, for me, I don't really understand. I've had other guests on here, other black belts, other grandmasters. Um, in their martial art, it seemed like I kind of understood the black belt tier one, two, three, four, and six. But for jiu-jitsu, how does that kind of work? I don't know if you can really talk about it. Same, 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 same. Everything's the same. See, everything's off of kenjitsu. If you look at most everything, I hate to brag here, but the sword and its technique were way out before karate started, before all this or that was, was, it was started probably all before and all at the same time when they're hitting people. But by the time everything was perfected through Okinawa or the archipelago of Japan or whatever, if you grab somebody by their gi and do judo with your little finger and four, you know, your, these fingers here, for example, that's all in Kenjitsu with shibodi and wringing the handle. So everything goes back to the sword because only people who fought, they used a sword. And if they dropped the sword, their hands would go in like this and go at the eyes, nose, throat, or pick up anything other weapon and use it as a sword. Because a spear, no, a staff was just a spear with a tip broken off. And you use it as a long range weapon where I see people here use it as a kayak paddle. Go figure. But then again, as a teacher that has that 
portly weight behind him, doing all those half-speed the theory technique makes him look like a ninth-degree black belt. I'll vote for him, yeah. you know? But when you're doing those technique in real time, those guys that have that extra weight on them for that powerful technique have their legs broken off before they can use their technique. So, you know, we're just going back to weight here on people who say something compared to doing, right. you know, do as I say, be that general who leads their men. Very few do. Right. They leave. I always, yeah. I always find myself, I mean, I get stuck watching the news. I'm glad you could break away from it. But anytime I see something on the news or you read something or see something, I back my mind, like, man, it'd be so cool to go back to feudal Japan where it was much simpler when men were men and, People, uh, people loved where they were from, their culture, their history, their lineage. Is there anything in that time frame? Like everyone's like, "Oh, live the way of a samurai." Is there anything in the if would you say that that you would change in the way of well, the samurai? Let's that was ask that question again. But when you're dealing with Japan, say feudal ages and America now and all the social media, it's all the same. Man hasn't changed. We just figured a new way like Zoom here to call each other names. That's about it. And everybody is informed with whose information. So if it was back then, the good old days, those were the great good old days, you know? So if you look at that and look at modern stuff, man hasn't changed. Just check technology brought the other side of the railroad tracks in your backyard, basically. So look at it that way. But if I could change anything, yeah, the biggest thing is, is that I want to get away from in martial arts, the attitude of homie, don't do this. Homie, don't do windows. Homie, don't do that. Because the people that are saying that, hey, they can do it. But by the time they hit 40 years old, they look it. They look like they're, they're falling apart. They didn't take care of themselves because they followed the easy path. There's many paths in life to follow. And this is where the Japanese all strive to follow the upper path or the path of more resistance. Because the more resistance you have, you know, swimming against the current, the stronger your muscle, your core will be in sword fighting or growing fruit. You've seen Japanese fruit. Have you ever eaten Japanese fruit? Yes, I have. It's, it's the best in the world. I mean, they sing to their fruit. You know, they put little pieces of paper around it so bugs can't get in it. And that's why they charge $100 for a peach or a pear, because they can, <laughs> you know. So even with that, the Japanese strive to do it the Japanese way. And the Japanese way is to not lose face. So not losing face is you do your best. And that's why Japanese are like they are. Now, of course, the young people have their part Department of Education and it's changed too between the older ones and the younger ones because we see a vast difference in the political face in Japan too, you know. But then again, hey, that's just the way it is. Young people are going to do what they do and no matter what we think and what we say, we can't. So I've discovered that I do what is called a multi-touda and that's your front face and your back face. Right now, I'm talking a little bit about my back face on, you know, the things that I right. believe. My front face, I'd never say anything like this because everything's good. Everybody's happy. The wall is good. 
You know, kids are really well. All the schools are good. Business is good. You know, all that kind of stuff. On this side of the face, yeah, damn, you know, no, 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 no. You know, just because. But then again, if you let that grate on you, it's not going to help. My teacher taught me. Uh, let's see who it was. Abe Sensei. Abe Sensei. He, I was bitching about someone. Just because you do, you know, and I'm doing it in Japanese, you know, the blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he does it this way. And, you know, I don't like the way or, you know, you just because everybody loves to bitch about someone. He looks at me and he goes, you want to do it? And I went, well, no. And I go, well, he surely wants to do it. Why don't you be his assistant? I'm a little bit, see what I mean? So get back in your chair and let the people that want to do it, do it. There it is. And people will bubble up to do that stuff that you're bitching about. You know, it's like having a mailman. We bitch about every mailman. They get rid of one mailman, a new one comes in, and three months later, right, that mailman, he ain't, where's my check? You know, you see, see how that is. So it goes into one big, complete, full circle. So this is what they call Shinto. You know, it teaches you to wield a sword or a spear and be dead on one minute. And the next minute, <sighs> breathe in those flowers. Can't you see the beauty in the, in the petals falling? Can you hear the birds chirping? Because it's all part and parcel with the same thing in war, peace, life in, in general. And that's how they push it out. A hundred years ago, 500 years ago, today. Same, same, because it's in their... You know, now, 500 years ago, you make big mistake, they cut off your head. You know, you know, they'll slap it right off. Now they'll just browbeat you, you know, but but then again, that's just the way it is. So back probably up until World War Two, and I remember some of these World War Two vets because they taught me a lot. They were nasty mean gunny sergeants with cigars in their mouth. They didn't take shit from no one and they're all in their mid 60s. So, you know, they hadn't take shit from no one in a long time. And my, my, my French is just like this when I'm talking about these guys. So anyway, they're, uh, they're these real, you know, steadfast guys. So I'm losing my, my thought of pro I'm losing my pro thought of process here. What was I saying? Um, Sorry about that. Uh, no, it's all good. We could uh, we could edit all this stuff out too. No, we're talking about. Yeah, we're basically. Jeez, uh, I kind of forgot too. Yeah, I know. I'm 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 a spieling no, here. Was, so yeah, no, let me get back to the teacher. I think I can follow back into it. Yeah. Um, no, I can't. It was a good story. Well, you know, yeah. I no, guess. you were talking about. No, it's all good. We can trim all this. But we're you're talking about the uh, the World War Two, the gunny sergeants, and yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Now I remember. So anyway, they're like they're like World War Two gunny sergeants with cigars in their mouth, and uh, I'm I'm watching them, and they're dealing with the younger kids. Because, you know, I've dealt, you know, with the big boys and I dealt with most everybody, you know, around in the kendo industry. But my first thoughts when I first saw these older guys teaching like Fujigawa, Kakenyu Kai, the local little schools when they're teaching, you know, like five year olds, eight year olds, 10 year olds, they would treat them like it was 1939. 
I never saw so much beating on him, beating on him. I mean, beating on him where you see some of these things, you know, you see on YouTube in Japan where the guy's just beating on the guy. The guy wants to be, you know, MMA guy will take this punch and take, and they're going, oh, look at that. I wouldn't do that in my school. And that's why they only have a school for three years or their legacies don't ever go on to the next level because they never were taught good tradition. If you can eat a punch like candy, or when you're five years old, you can take the abuse of the kendo teacher, you will be a leader when you get older because you won't cry. <laughs> and that's what they try not to have because when you whine, you lose face. Because even though in Japanese thought process, they don't talk a lot. They talk with their eyes. That's why if you ever watch Japanese movies, it's so drawn out and slow. No, they're having tons of conversations if you understand the conversation, you know. But you've seen, you know, you see these um, movies where the, you know, the good doer, he gets caught and he gets thrown in the jail type of thing. And, you know, who are we going to kill now? And they look at everybody and then they see the guy in the corner. going, You know who they're going to kill first? Well, Japanese, they don't like to see whiny people. They saw it in World War II at the Bataan or Bataan Death March, you know. Now, I met guys that were there. I mean, Japanese people, because remember, these kendo teachers and sword teachers came right. home and they, you know, they, they were doing it. Everybody was in World War II at that time. Everybody. So, you know, they'd be talking about, you know, the Bataan Death March and doing this and doing that. And I remember on a couple of occasions, people go, you know, Dana, I killed a lot of Americans and I never talked to too many, but I like, you're Japanese, you know, after a couple of drinks, my Japanese gets right. better, you know, right. so like that. Or, you know how many people were in World War II? You know how many people were involved in Japan? Because the emperor, and you thought North Korea was crazy. You know, they thought their emperor was a god until the end of World War II, just because their indoctrination made that happen. That right. my father-in-law, my wife and I were going down to one of the little islands. Uh, I forget the name of the islands, but one of the little islands near Okinawa, you know, Saipan, and uh, one of those places. And he goes, oh, you know, I've lost two brothers on that island. You guys go have fun. You, you oh. know? Yeah, from World War II. Right. Because, you know, he had nine brothers and he was only one of two or three that, you know, came right, back. Right. So, you know, everybody was in that. So when I came, went to Japan, my stuff that I was raised in, not the bitch and moan, one mouth, two ears, keep it shut. And just yep. follow and do your best and be the energizer bunny with no whining in the face. Yeah, it got me what I got in my traditional training by all the big boys. So, yeah, it still goes around. So that's why you don't see too many Americans going over to Japan because they don't they wimp out. I mean, I think I'm the only one that's went in the last decade, uh, the generation. It seems like I'm the only one that went and actually did what Chuck Norris did in the movies. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? And, right. and that's the real cool thing about it, because now, as I'm in my mid-60s, the same age as my teachers were, I'm learning that I'm past that threshold, and I look back at all my peers or the future people that are in their 20s, and I'm going, they're not following the righteous path of being worthy. 
this is what the Japanese asked me over my over the last 30 years, maybe a half a dozen times, and not by American Japanese, by Japanese Japanese who live here and were in Japan. They'd ask me, Moto-san or Dana, are you a businessman or a Budo man? And I'm going, I never heard this before. So I better play it safe and go, well, I'm a Budo man. And oh, you know. <laughs> We knew it because you didn't bring a camera with you, you know. <laughs> so over the years in different parts of Japan, in different parts of the world, and even back here, you know, like with Shiroma Sensei about 10 years ago, he goes, are you a Budo man or a businessman? And I asked him, well, what's your definition of a businessman? He goes, you know, someone who learns martial arts for a little time and then promotes everything, starts a big, huge organization, and just goes it that way. And a Budo man is someone who walks the path of righteousness and is the same weight they are when they're 20, 30, 40, up into their 70s, and no one bothers them, and the wa is good. So now looking at myself at, say, 65, yeah, I haven't made any money, so I guess I am the Budo man. And that's uh, what's happening now. So between now, 65, and when I die, and I plan to live 100 because I'm learning the virtues of this. Now, my teachers, they only lasted till they were 85, 90, because they smoked and drank like chimneys. Go figure, you know, because back, back, back in the day, it was kendo, tobacco, whiskey. I mean, anything else, you, what were you doing here? You know, <laughs> you've yeah. uh, you've obviously touched upon it, but when you, when you go to other, uh, when you do seminars or um, go to these shows or whatever, where there's other martial artists or other people um, who've clearly put the time in. Uh, but how do you kind of deal with ego? Because there are people out there uh, that, that not necessarily in your art, uh, but the martial arts in general, that some people carry ego. Do you find that some ego is okay? Or do you think more, if anything more than some, you'll see the downfall of that individual? Um, I, um, it's not ego as much as it's self-promotion. You know, okay. you can get a ranking anywhere. So gotcha. you got to look at it that way. Ego, everybody has ego. It depends how you look at it. And when you don't get it, how you look, you know, so that's a lot of ego. And there's a lot of people with ego. I have ego. Everybody has ego. Right. I'm talking through my back face right now, of course. Right. My front oh. face, no, I'm humble as pie. See the apple coming off my hands, you know, but my my back of me is going, dude, yeah, I have lots of ego. Why do you think I'm here talking to you about them? <laughs> right. No. But as, as far as, and I want you to ask the question again, because I can get off on different tangents on this. But uh, as far as ego goes, it, it's, it's just the way it is. That's what we are. But if you have no ego, then you won't get off the couch. So your ego has to be a race against yourself. So instead of carrying what everybody else thinks what you're wearing, you just let your freak flag fly and you wear that jean jacket. That's all tattered back in 69, you know, you know, stuff like that. So you, you got to look at how people think about it and how the Japanese take the philosophy and they, you know, they put it back. Now ask that question again. No, so when you go to these seminars and anything like that, where you, you're in a room full of other people at your level or whatever. Okay, I'm going to stop you there because now I can answer the second one. If that person with the ego is doing a Japanese martial art, 
Right. I'll speak to them in Japanese because if they're that good, they must be able to speak fluent Japanese because I had to, to learn all the nuances, all the special things, all the Osaki no Ueno Hanashi stuff you drink over beer, you know, things like that kind of stuff. And to be able to sound like a man in Japanese, speaking Japanese technique, the Japanese way. Now, if they can do that, it's great. Uh, the only people that I see at these things are the Japanese, so we go have beer. Yeah, and that's good. No. Now, away from the Japanese-speaking ones, you have all your other people. And my art and there are completely different. No one throws any ego or any type of that stuff towards me. No one does, because I, I'm an orange and they're apples, or pears, or whatever. I'm a little different, because my training was done at West Point, and I'm in the Pentagon. And everybody right. else did their training over in Bangor, Maine, Community College, and they're at the armory. You know, so as far as dog leg or anything like that, I'm pretty much, you know, um, my connections are really close as far as teachers and a hierarchy and all that kind of stuff. And anybody, for example, doing swordsmanship over here that's Japanese, usually I know there's teacher's teacher, because I do, because I'm at that age now. You know, or if they're a teacher's teacher's teacher, yeah, I probably met them before. Yeah, they bought the beer, you know, or gave money to get the beer for all us young kids, you know, stuff like that. So it, it, it depends. It always depends. And it's safe to say that you're actively still learning every day as well, too. Like you're never, never resting on your laurels, whether it's, oh, I got into the Black Belt Hall of Fame or this other Hall of Fame. You're never, you're, you come off as someone that's never satisfied yeah, you're proud of your accomplishments, but you could always improve yourself. I, I really I'm love wearing, that. I'm wearing my, uh, my gi now. I was working out a little bit earlier. So, yeah, I do. I do. I strive to be, well, my BMI is at about 155 pounds right now. Yeah, if I didn't do that kind of stuff, I'd be at 190, if you know what right. I mean. You know, <laughs> I'd be really pudgy, which is really great. And, but I like eating steak and ice cream. I really, really do like eating steak and ice cream. So you know what I do? I got to have a lot of students to beat on. I got to do a lot of sweating. I got to, you know, maintain it. So, you know, a thousand strikes, uh, strokes a day or a couple of thousand strikes or, you know, working through the katas and working through this keeps my body satisfied. So when I go into the next, uh, because everybody's body changes every so many years, when I go into the next one, I'll be healthy and ready to go. You know, okay. yeah. I'm just wearing a beer because I'm doing some stuff for some photography right now, but this is the only gray hair I have, you know? So yeah, I keep all my hair for some reason. I guess it's that traditional training. That's what it comes down to. So you, you run against yourself. Yes. If there, now, for people, before I let you go, like obviously you are on social media, you're on LinkedIn. If people want to sign up for seminars or do more research on you to figure out maybe maybe there is that one kid out there right now that could follow in your footsteps or wants to and for them how are they able to reach out to you like what's the process and stuff like that shihan abbott any any search engine if they can't find me they're not worthy i'm gonna be that you know oh, yeah. i can oh, get yeah. out there and i can beat a dead horse but he still won't drink the water 
You know what I mean? Can't lead him, can't kill him, can't do anything. So basically, um, you could go to www.learnthesword.com. You can go to danaabbott.com. You can look on any any search engine, Dana Abbott or Sheehan Abbott, because there's some girl, every girl's name has my name. And that's what got me in the martial arts with a girl's name. Don't let anybody kid you. That's what got me in the martial arts at a young age, you know? Yeah, that's a girl's name. You can't play football with us. Oh, that's a girl's name. You And you're too short anyway. Basketball ain't your game, you know? But when it came to Korean karate, when I first started out in that, first kick was like, oh, oh likey, you know. And by the time I got was in Japan, it was like, oh, well, this feel good, you know. So there is no. that. So, yeah, anybody can find me anywhere if they just look. And I do have a really good program. Most people that look go, well, you know, that's not very much money. I just charge a dollar a day. And they go, that's not because this teacher over here, he charges $1,000 a month. He must be way better. All my stuff is through the Department of Education. All my ranking and everything like that. Why theirs is, I don't know. One of their, my, a teacher that I know, one of their students' students made up this thing that they went to a Hall of Fame and then they got this extra signature and now they're a grand poobah wielding the sword. I mean, you know, but, but they, yeah. it works. So, right. Yeah. So uh, this was a blast, Dana. I appreciate you jumping on here. Um, again, it was awesome talking to you and learning about the uh, your life in Japan and the kijutsu and everything. And uh, again, thank you very much for being here. Hey, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Next time we'll talk about spear fighting. I'm all about it. Thank yeah, you, Dana. you know, that's my long range weapon of choice. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. happens when we play outside we become healthier both mentally and physically we become more creative and more focused we connect with nature each other and ourselves let's take this outside a new podcast hosted by me marianne iveson an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover i speak to athletes outdoor professionals and scientists about their connection to nature how it affects their performance and everyday life Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. 
and Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. <laughs>